Welcome to the third season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Amongst the fields in the backcountry of Texas from Longhorn Cattle. Helen Golay was born in Texas in 1931. Her life began being shuffled between relatives before ending up in a foster home. Later on, she moved to California, was married twice, and had three daughters. Helen lived and breathed real estate and invested until she owned three rental properties in Santa Monica and was living in a one-and-a-half million dollar home, wearing expensive clothes and driving a Mercedes. Her bleached blonde hair was piled high in a bouffant, her good looks enhanced with plastic surgery. She had a tough demeanor and a reputation for abusing her tenants. She dropped the threat of a lawsuit any chance she got. The Los Angeles Times described how she sued a woman for allegedly stealing leather skirts from her. Another time, sued a health club for getting hurt on an exercise machine. And in a shady move, used a power of attorney to seize a million-dollar property from her dead business partner, taking it away from his daughter. 6,000 miles away in Hungary, Olga Rudderschmidt was also born in the 1930s. Her tough upbringing improved when she moved to the United States in 1957. Married, she and her husband operated a coffee shop in downtown Los Angeles. The couple had no children, and by the 1970s, Olga was divorced and living alone in an Art Deco-inspired apartment in Hollywood, where her neighbors noticed her temperamental mood swings. She was a homebody who listened to classical music and jazz. Her accent was thick, her eyes close together, her cheekbones bony, and her pointed chin jutted out. Olga lived a modest life and drove an older blue Honda Civic. She had a desire to be rich and created a pyramid scheme and used one credit card to pay off another. She often threatened to sue people, including a supermarket, claiming boxes fell on top of her. In the 1980s at a health spa in Los Angeles, Helen and Olga met. On the surface, the two women had blonde hair and red lipstick in common, but underneath they discovered another similarity. Their desire to get money by any means. The women forged a bond. They were brash and aggressive, cruised hotels and hung out around the pool and pretended they belonged. When the hotel guests turned their backs, 
They stole their wallets and used their credit cards. At the drop of a hat, they threatened a lawsuit and extorted money. But a few dollars here and there wasn't enough. The two women who were nearing 70 years old hatched a plan for a bigger payout. Find a marginalized man living in the shadows of society? Someone that wouldn't be missed. Befriend him, take out a life insurance policy, and then murder him. They researched life insurance plans and chose a term policy with the lowest monthly payments and the highest payout. California law dictates that in the first two years of a policy, the insurance company can cancel it if they discover it was procured using fraudulent or deceptive means. After the two-year period, it became incontestable. That meant the two women were in this for the long haul. Paul Fados came to the United States in 1956 from Hungary. Court records reveal that after Paul's wife died in 1985, he lived with his daughter for a short time before moving to California and lost contact with her. He moved into an apartment in Los Angeles where he met Olga. Paul was in his early 70s, had no job, and was a drunk who barely took care of himself. The apartment manager, Norma, kept an eye on Paul and checked on him daily. On occasion, when he was too drunk to walk, she helped him home and bought him food. Olga stopped by a couple times a month, introduced herself as his sister, and brought him groceries. Olga purchased a rubber stamp with Paul's signature, and in May 1997, the woman took out a $50,000 life insurance policy on Paul. Over a two-year period, Helen and Olga purchased six insurance policies. Helen was listed as his fiancée, while Olga pretended to be his cousin. Every month, they made the insurance payments. By the fall of 1999, two years had been rolled around, and the insurance companies were no longer able to cancel the policies. November 7th was a quiet Sunday night. The sky, an ominous shade of black, as rain poured down. It's not known exactly what transpired, but Olga lured Paul out of his rundown apartment. Perhaps she spiked his alcohol with the drug. As they walked down an alley, he stumbled and fell. She reached down and emptied his pockets and removed his identification, then turned and gave Helen the signal. She turned the key and the engine roared to life. The headlights lit up his crumpled body. Helen slowly inched the 2,000 pounds of steel forward and kept her foot steady on the gas pedal. She aimed the front tire over Paul's chest and maneuvered the car as if she were driving over a speed bump. 
Walpole died at 73. The next morning, police were called to the alley. Paul's torso lay twisted and crushed, his nose scratched and grease smeared across his chest. The evidence suggested Paul had been hit by a car, but the officer didn't see any parts or glass strewn around, which he found unusual. The next day, Norma didn't see Paul around the apartment building. A second day went by, and no Paul. On the third day, she phoned Olga to tell her he was missing. Olga waited nine days before reporting Paul missing. A month later, she asked for a copy of the accident report, but the police officer refused. Meanwhile, a forensic pathologist determined that Paul had no injuries to his legs, as would be the case if he had been standing or walking when hit by a car. But rather, he had 48 rib fractures. He suffered from multiple traumatic injuries, but it was a laceration to his aorta in the chest that caused his death. Helen filed to claim the insurance benefits for Paul. Suspecting fraud, some of the insurance companies refused to pay out the money. So Helen threatened to sue them and forced them to pay her to the tune of almost $600,000. In Hollywood in early 2002, Jimmy Covington was living on the streets. Olga spotted him and offered him a temporary place to stay, but he'd need to fill out a few forms. Jimmy was interested. A roof over his head, a warm bed, and free meals seemed like a good deal. Olga took him to an office space. In the back room was a bed. Over the next week, she handed him a number of forms to fill out and asked for his date of birth, social security number, health and family history. On April 30th, Olga applied for an $800,000 life insurance policy on Jimmy. He had no idea. Then she asked for his mother's maiden name, and he paused. Suddenly, he felt uncomfortable. At 3 a.m., Olga let herself into his room. Jimmy woke to her standing over him. He refused to give her any more personal information. Olga was livid and became verbally abusive. Jimmy left the building and never looked back. Helen and Olga found another victim Kenneth McDavid grew up with his family in California and attended high school and university in Sacramento. In the 90s, he became estranged from his family, was homeless, and sleeping outside. In September, Helen rented Kenneth an apartment. In return, she and Olga asked him to sign insurance policy as an act of good faith. 
By March 2003, they had submitted 17 applications for life insurance. As the two-year mark neared in late 2004, Helen discovered that Kenneth had taken in roommates and was furious. She demanded they leave. And when they didn't, she hired an armed security guard and evicted them all. Kenneth moved from one low-rent motel to another. Helen paid the bills. Meanwhile, Olga used stolen identification to purchase a used Mercury Sable station wagon for $6,000. On June 21, 2005, Helen and Olga lured Kenneth to an alley off the Santa Monica Boulevard. Drugged and drunk, he fell to the ground. The car's headlights went dark as the car slid into reverse. Moving slowly, the rear bumper raised up, then down. The headlights roared back to life as the car continued for another 75 feet, then faltered. His fuel line had broken and stopped it dead in its tracks. Kenneth died at 50. At 11.55 p.m., Helen called an emergency road service and had the station wagon towed to a street a few blocks from her home. There she abandoned it and walked the rest of the way. At 1 a.m., Kenneth's body was found by a driver who stopped at the sight of something suspicious. Officers noticed there appeared to be a tire imprint on his jeans, and that he may have been dragged. But there were no signs of an accident, no parts, no broken glass. His chest and shoulders were crushed. Although there were grease marks on his clothes, his legs weren't broken. Investigators scoured the businesses in the area for video surveillance. They found what looked like a Mercury Sable station wagon, drive through the alleyway, and stop close to where Kenneth had been found. Two months later, Helen Olga requested a copy of the police report and filed numerous insurance claims. Some companies were suspicious and refused to pay them. Still, they managed to receive one and a half million dollars. In the spring of 2006, in an LAPD squad room, a detective working on Kenneth's case was talking about how peculiar it was. When another detective overheard him and commented that he'd worked on a similar case six years before. What were the odds the two cases were related? The detectives compared notes and discovered that the same two elderly women had filed police reports to gain custody of both bodies, and their names were Helen and Olga. Detectives delved further and discovered the women had taken out 19 life insurance policies worth more than $4 million, and that $2.2 million 
had already been paid out. Police put Helen and Olga under surveillance. They followed Olga for weeks, including a visit to a shop, where they watched her use the internet to try and open a credit card account under someone else's name. A few weeks later, they became concerned when they saw the women meeting with several older men and watched Olga accompany one of them to the bank. It was May 19th, and not wanting any more victims, they swooped in and arrested the pair on suspicion of mail fraud. They knew the women were stone-cold killers, but needed more evidence. At the police station, Helen and Olga were taken to a room with a recording device. Court records revealed their chilling conversation. As soon as they were left alone, Olga turned to Helen and told her it was her fault for making so many insurance claims and told her, we're going to go to jail. They going to lock you up. Helen replied, she didn't want to talk to her. But Olga kept going. You have to, because you did all the insurances extra. That's what raises suspicion. Stupidity. Helen fired back at her. You better be quiet. All they're after is mail fraud. Olga shook her head and again blamed Helen, saying you were greedy. That's the problem. Police searched both Helen and Olga's homes and vehicles. They discovered rubber stamps with the men's signatures. At Helen's house, they found a container with Vicodin crushed into a powder, among other various antidepressants and anxiety drugs. And in Helen's Mercedes, investigators found a post-it note in her day planner with a car's license plate number. That number was traced to the Mercury Sable station wagon. Toxicology tests performed on Kenneth showed he had alcohol and the sedatives Ambien and Vicodin in his system. In May 2006, police discovered the abandoned Mercury Sable had been impounded and sold at a lien sale. Police tracked it down and purchased it. In the car's undercarriage, forensic examination found human hair, blood, and tissue. The DNA was tested and came back to Kenneth. Two years later, in 2008, 77-year-old Helen and 75-year-old Olga went on trial. Both were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Due to their age, prosecutors did not seek the death penalty, as they will likely die in prison before an appeal could be heard. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20, with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Shirley Allen. She grew up poor and was driven by greed. Men were attracted to her, buoyed by her blonde hair, pert nose, and red lips. But Shirley wasn't interested in love. 
One ex-husband survived being poisoned, but two did not. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>